0: the run from his son Absalom. Uh, if you remember, at the news of Absalom's rebellion, David decided that the best course of action for him to take was to vacate the city. He, he didn't think, hmm, let me muster my troops and see if we can fight Absalom. coming." he's like, nope, I'm going to take everyone that's still loyal to me and I'm out of here. And, and if you remember, Absalom was able to achieve this rebellion against his own dead because of some pretty crafty thinking on his part he kind of stood outside the gates of the city and as people would come in to bring their problems to David Absalom would stop them and he'd say hey you know you make a really good point I would actually side with you in this endeavor but the king hasn't really designated anyone to listen to your problems he said but if I were king you know just by chance then I would totally listen to you guys I would be the king of the people, so to speak. And and over the course of, I think, four years of doing that, Absalom was really able to gather a large following, so much so that he was able to overthrow even David, his own father. And we may be inclined to look at the events of last week and speculate as to why David was being overthrown here. Uh, Maybe he did a poor job of... You know, he did well at securing foreign borders, but maybe internally there was some unrest. You know, we could speculate about what it was that led to his demise, but the Bible's pretty clear. It says you don't need to speculate. You don't need to hypothesize as to why David's been overthrown. Look at this. Second Samuel 12, we keep seeing this verse. Nathan tells David, the sword shall never depart from your house. I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. We've seen both of these things last week. The sword never departing from his house is Absalom killing his own brother Amnon. Check. I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. This is Absalom overthrowing David. Check. And then this third part, I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. We're going to see that today. And we made the point last week, it was kind of the overwhelming emphasis of this whole lesson, that sin has serious consequences. Consequences that even transcend what David did with Bathsheba, because next thing you know, David's infant son is dead, his daughter is raped, a son is murdered, another son is overthrowing him. This is all a product of David's sin with Bathsheba. So chapter 16, where we are today, let's turn there, picks up with David on the run 2nd Samuel 16 Beginning in verse 1, we read, when David had passed a little beyond the summit Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing two hundred loaves of bread, a hundred bunches of raisins, a hundred summer fruits, a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint. In the wilderness to drink, at first glance, this seems like a really nice thing is... That Ziba is doing, he's bringing all of these supplies to David and his men as they're fleeing Jerusalem. But look at verse four. Excuse me, verse three. And the king said, and where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. Now, at first glance, after reading these first four verses, we kind of think Mephibosheth is a pretty ungrateful fellow, huh? Just a couple of chapters prior to this, David is looking for Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth thinks that he is going to die. He's a descendant of Saul. He's thinking, David's going to kill me. And David says, no, 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 no. Mephibosheth you are welcome to eat at my table like a son I made a covenant with your father Jonathan that I would take care of his offspring Mephibosheth come live out your life in luxury and here we're reading that Mephibosheth at the news of David's departure rather than leaving with David says no this is my chance perhaps God is overthrowing David so that I can become king again and we're like come on man I thought of the new Testament parable in which that one guy is forgiven a debt that he could never repay in his lifetime. And then he immediately turns around and finds someone who owes him like 20 bucks comparatively. And he chokes him out and sends him to prison and says, you're going to stay there till you pay me back. And we're left thinking after that parable, like uh, you don't really understand the mercy that you were shown here. When we read this about Mephibosheth, we think the very same thing about him. Uh, You don't understand what it is that David actually did for you in preserving your life. Now is not the time to go turning your back on him and say, well, maybe I'll be king now. However, this isn't quite the end of the story. Look over at chapter 19 with me really briefly. This records David's return back into the city. And Mephibosheth actually shows up again, 2 Samuel 19. Look at verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, 'Uh, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And He answered, my Lord, O King, my servant deceived me for your servant said to him, "I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. he has slandered your servant to the Lord to my Lord the King, but my Lord the King is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you, for all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my Lord the King, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table." What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to them, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided. You and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. So who's telling the truth? We have two competing stories here. Here in chapter 16, Ziba says, Yeah, Mephibosheth just, he bailed on you, David. I'm only faithful to you. But when David comes back to the city, Mephibosheth, he says, I haven't even washed my feet, trimmed my hair or my beard. Like, I've been waiting for you to return, David. And, and David kind of feels like caught between two competing stories. And he's like, uh, okay, I can't really sort this out. You guys just divide the land. What I had previously given of yours to Ziba, maybe it should actually be all yours. So I'll just divide it and you guys can sort it out. And we're like, uh, Okay. What do we do with this? We're, we're not even actually sure who's telling the truth. What exactly is going on? Uh, maybe simply, I think we could conclude that it is wise not to make hurried decisions. David here is under a lot of stress as he is fleeing Jerusalem. And here Zeba is and tells him something. And in the heat of the moment, David's like, okay, I'll take your word for it. Everything that Mephibosheth owns is now yours, Zeba." I think Proverbs offers some practical wisdom on this very issue. How about Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Just a couple of verses later, we read that the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. My intent is not to, you know, come out swinging at David today and said he should have, you know, done things differently here, but I do think there is just some practical wisdom from this passage of Scripture that we would be wise to listen to the whole matter when we're presented with a maybe a partial truth in, in certain situations and not make hurried decisions. I just heard, just a couple of weeks ago even, uh, someone kind of put this exact principle uh, to the test. He says whenever he's buying a car from a car salesman and the salesman tries to start manipulating him and he starts to say, listen, man, like, I can't promise you that this car is going to be on the lot tomorrow. You better hurry up and make an impulse decision. Then this gentleman says, you know what? I don't want the car. I'm not going to be manipulated by you telling me that this won't be here tomorrow into making a hurried decision. And I think that what happened here is a microcosm of that. David is presented in a high pressure situation. He's fleeing. He's leaving. This is the last thing on his mind. He says, OK, whatever. And come to find out. Maybe that wasn't the whole story. This is a bit of an aside in the lesson, but I think that Proverbs offers some practical wisdom even for David in this situation. Let's go back to chapter 16. And David keeps running into people as he's fleeing the city. It's, it's bizarre. Like how many people catch him on his way out? We run into another guy in verse 5 of chapter 16. We read when King David came to Behurim, there came a man out of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out! Get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. And here we just have this one dude who shows up as David is leaving with his entourage, who's cursing at him who's throwing stones at him. And we're like, what in the world is going on here? Well, it turns out this guy isn't entirely random. Who does the text say that he is related to? Who is Shimei actually related to? Saul. Yeah, and so from David's perspective, twice in like eight verses, he's now found out that a descendant of Saul, first Mephibosheth, and now Shimei, they're glad that he is being usurped. They're like, sweet. We hate you, David. I'm glad you're getting out of here. Can you you imagine what David must be thinking? I'm sure the insults that Shimei is throwing hurt worse then the stones, because he's calling David a man of blood, a worthless man, and I'm sure that David can only think about the blood that is on his hands. Uriah is dead because of him. His infant son is dead because of him. Amnon, dead because of him. He's fleeing Jerusalem at this very moment as a consequence of his sin. In a way, these insults ring true. What would you do in this situation? probably be discouraged. I'm already on the run. Don't kick me while I'm down. I'd probably be irritated, frustrated. The text says that David has his mighty men on his right hand and on his left. I might take one of those mighty men and send him on a little mission, if you know what I mean, and shut up those curses. In fact, Abishai is actually going to suggest that in the following verses. But David's response is actually pretty surprising, and I think that how he responds here gives us a glimpse into maybe the David of old, if I can call it that. The David after a man of God's heart is starting to resurface. Let's look at the following verses, verse 9. Then Abishai, Abishai the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Cursed David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. I do really enjoy David's response in verse 9. He says, you sons of Zariah, Joab and Abishai, you guys think everything can be solved with the sword? We've seen this this thus far in 2 Samuel. They always are inclined to to kill their problems. And David says, no, 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 no. Perhaps there is something going on here that's greater even than this rivalry between Saul and David. David says, could it be that God has told Shimei to curse me? That's a really interesting thought. I think in that response, we're starting to see the David of old again, who refuses to take out Saul for the pure and simple fact that he was appointed to that position by God. He had a couple of chances to kill him, and he says, no, he's the Lord's anointed. God put him there. I can't take him out. And here David considers that maybe Shimei is cursing him and throwing stones at him because God told him to. And for him to take out his enemy in this instance would actually be to rebel against God's very plan. I think this is a really uh, mature and profound response from David here. And that's why I said that maybe the David of old is starting to resurface here. Maybe the David we know and love before his incident with Bathsheba is starting to have his heart renewed as he prayed for back in Psalm 51. I think verse 12 captures David's heart pretty well. He says, It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. And here's the point. David trusts the Lord to enact vengeance. If there is wrong being done here, David says, I don't need to worry about it. I trust God. He'll do what is right. As you can imagine, someone following you, cursing you, throwing stones at you, you are already tired, exhausted from the events of the day. Verse 14 says, these people arrived weary at the Jordan, and there David refreshed himself. You might imagine he kicks off his shoes, gets a cool drink of water, I don't know, takes a nap, Is it possible that some of this refreshment was spiritual? Here's what I mean by that. Let's turn over to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3. If you have an inscription at the top of that psalm, when does it say that this psalm was written? David fled from Absalom. Yeah. It says a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And I'm not going to be too dogmatic and say that he wrote this right here at the Jordan River when he stopped and refreshed himself. But at some point on this journey, David pauses and he cries out to the Lord. Let's just take a look briefly at the Psalm verse one. David says, oh, Lord. How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. At times we read the Psalms and we have to kind of speculate as to what the occasion was that David wrote this. We don't have to speculate here. David has just heard, Mephibosheth hates you. Shimei, hates you. Absalom hates you. His followers, they hate you. David, there are thousands of people who hate you. These circumstances would make most of us discouraged, depressed. People are even saying of David, apparently, in verse 2, that not even God can save him from his problems. Look what, verse, look what David says in verse 3. He says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David is able to say here, even though literally thousands of people have aligned themselves against me, I'm not alone. I'm not defenseless. The Lord is my shield. When I cry, he answers. David can even say in verse five, when most of us would be restless and unable to sleep, David says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. Look at these last two verses. David says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. And this confirms what we already observed about David and his interaction with Shimei. He doesn't need to send a mighty man to take one of those guys out. He says, Salvation, deliverance, belongs to to God. He is dependent on God to deliver him from these just awful set of circumstances. And can I ask you, have you ever felt this way before? Hopefully, no one is throwing stones at you, literally, or thousands of people, hopefully, have not ganged up against you. But when you go to work, you're met with hostility. When you come home, There's hostility. When you go online, hostility. Perhaps it's not even people that are being hostile to you, it is your circumstances, and you just feel overwhelmed, like I'm sure David does here, as the present events of his life are just unbearable, literally. Can I remind you from this psalm? You have a shield. When you cry, there is one who listens. There is one who delivers, who hears the cry of the helpless and the oppressed and comes to their aid. This is our God. This is what makes the Psalms so precious to us, they're, they're so relatable. The same God that David runs to in a moment of his despair and in his distress is the same God that we can run to and find solace and have that shield that is around us. Let's turn back to Samuel 16 and finish out this chapter here. Look at verse 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be. And with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. If you remember from last week, David left a couple of people that I called like secret agents in Jerusalem. Hushai is one of them. And when Absalom comes into the city to make himself king, Hushai greets him and he says, Long live the king! You're the guy! I'll help you out. And Absalom's a little uh, like questioning. He's like, Weren't you my father's friend? And Ushai's like, no, I mean, I'll serve the current king. Yeah, totally. Uh, this is going to be significant later. He is a huge asset to David. But Absalom already has a counselor in Ahithophel. And Ahithophel gives him some pretty, pretty bad advice uh, as to his first act of king. It's recorded for us in verse 20. Absalom said to Ahithophel, give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom? We'll come that, back to that verse in just a second. But in verses 20 to 22, the depravity that is on display for us here is just astonishing. And this is a direct fulfillment, again, of 2 Samuel chapter 12. We've seen the first two fulfilled, and now the third. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, who turns out to be David's own son, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. Ahithophel's idea to Absalom was to do something bold, to do something so brazen that all of the people remaining in Israel would see that Absalom can do something terrible and get away with it, And hopefully that would embolden everyone else to say, yeah, I can rebel against David and get away with it too. And this is what Ahithophel comes up with. You know, I'm sure Absalom thought that he was the better man when Amnon raped his sister. And he thought, you know what? I'm the better man here. I haven't done something that bad. In fact, I will execute this justice on my own brother for what he did to my sister. Remember, Tamar is called a desolate woman. Remember, we said her life was ruined. She was effectively a widow for the rest of her life. She had to live with Absalom. Let's turn over to chapter 20 and see what happens to these 10 women. 2 Samuel 20, just a couple of chapters later, Verse three, David is returning to Jerusalem and David came to his house at Jerusalem and the king took the 10 concubines whom he had left to care for the house and put them in a house under guard and provided for them. But he did not go into them. So they were shut up until the day of their death, living as if in widowhood. The very thing that happened to Tamar, Absalom's sister. You would think he would look at that situation and say, this is terrible. My own sister lives with me because of the sin that was done against her. How, how can I perpetuate this? And yet here Absalom is creating 10 more Tamars. With 10 more women, the same fate happens to them. They live as if in widowhood till the day of their death. This is the consequences of sin. The the ripple effect or the snowball effect if I can call it that is astounding here. What was one act with David and Bathsheba has led to so much sin. People's lives are ruined. This should be a warning to us. We need to take seriously the consequences that our sin might have. It doesn't just affect us. These actions affect other people. And in the, in, in the very stories we're reading today 10, 11 women, uh, sons being killed. Uh, this is horrendous. Looking again at verse 23, Ahithophel is pretty highly regarded. It said of him that the counsel he gave was as if one consulted the word of God. Now, I think there's obviously a critique we can make there. Obviously, nothing should rival God's word in its importance. But the point of this sentence here is that when Ahithophel speaks, kings, listen. This guy gives good advice. So let's look at the advice he gives in chapter 17. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men And I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. So Ahithophel's advice here is hit David while he's down. You got him on the run, Absalom. Let's take 12,000 guys. It'll be a bit of a stealth mission. I'm not after a massacre here. I'm really not trying to kill all of your countrymen. We're going to take out one guy tonight. Not bad advice. David is on the run. If you take out the king... There's an obvious vacancy for Absalom to step into it. In fact, this advice was so well-regarded that verse 4 says, all the elders and Absalom thought, hey, not a bad idea. And although Ahithophel's advice seems sound, Absalom wants a second opinion. Verse 5 describes that second opinion. Then Absalom said, call Hushai the archite also. And let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant men whose heart is like the heart of a lion will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand by the sea for multitude and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground and of him and all the men with him not one will be left. And if he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. Hushai gives the exact opposite advice here. Ahithophel said, go get him right now. He's on the run. Take him out. Hushai says, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down here. Can I remind you guys that David is with his mighty men? We're told later on that one of David's mighty men killed 800 guys by himself. Hushai is like, you really want to go after that? David, he says, you know how little baby bear cubs are all cute and cuddly, and you might be inclined to pet one? Well, the advice is never touch a bear cub because who is nearby? Mom. Hushai says, that's David. He is like a bear who's lost her cubs. He is furious. He's enraged. Absalom, now is not the good time to go after David. Here's what you should do instead. Gather all of your men. You're going to need everybody for this. You pick the time. You pick the place. We're going to go after David on our own terms. And if he hides himself in a city, we'll bring ropes to that city. And we will pull down the wall stone by stone until David and all of his men are dead. Now Hushai is probably just trying to buy David some time here, right? Because we read already that David is anything but enraged. He's anything but ready to go to war. I mean, he says he is weary. He is exhausted. And Hushai's like, if I can just buy him some time, this will all work out. Notice whose advice Absalom follows. Verse 14. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the archite is better than than the counsel of Ahithophel. Whoa. We just read that Ahithophel's advice is said to be like the very word of God. People loved Ahithophel's counsel. He had proven himself time and time and time again to be a solid counselor. Was this a result of Hushai's quick and clever thinking that maybe he was like, oh, I'm really good at thinking on my feet here's what you should do instead of Absalom. No, actually, the verse just straight up tells us what was going on here behind the scenes. Second half of verse 14 says, for the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. And I can't help but think about Psalm 3 here. It's no wonder David doesn't feel the need to vindicate himself. God's his deliverer. God comes to his aid, even in the advice that Hushai gives. God's behind all of this. I hope that is clear. And what comes next in verses 15 and following is like almost out of a spy movie, to be honest. There's just some crazy events that happen. Look at verse 15. Then Hushai said said to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, these guys were also left behind by David to be these double agents, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counseled. Now, therefore, send quickly and tell David, Do not stay night at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimeaz were waiting at Enrogel. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city." But a young man saw them and told Absalom, so both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Behurim, who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into the well. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They have gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem." I think this whole, um, the whole narrative that we have here just gives further credibility to Ahithophel's advice. Um, Had Absalom done what Ahithophel had suggested, he may have overtaken David, but David is able to escape by the quick thinking of his servants that he had left behind, by this female servant covering up the well that these guys had headed in. It's just a crazy story here. Notice how Ahithophel responds to his advice not being taken in verse 23. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself, and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Just a terrible outcome here, taking his own life. Commentators speculate that perhaps what is happening here is that Ahithophel sees the writing on the wall, He knows that if David is not taken that very night, David is too good of a military strategist to let himself be overtaken and overthrown. He will be back in the city. Ahithophel knows that he is number one on the list of traitors and that he'll be taken out. And so he says, you know what? Rather than letting this play out, I'll take my own life. Uh, It's just, it's sad that, that that's what this has come to. Verses 24 to 28 describe... The details about David's escape, Absalom's pursuit. Verse 25 is maybe the most noteworthy verse of this whole section. Look at it really quickly. We read, Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab. Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra the Ishmaelite who had married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. I realize that might be a little bit difficult for us to follow, but basically what's happening here is that Although the ESV reads there might have been a competition for general between Amasa and Joab, what happened is that when David left, Joab went with him, and there's a vacancy now for general of Israel's army that Amasa fills, and Amasa is actually related to both David and Joab. I think he is Joab's cousin, but even in this, I couldn't help but think about how Joab always manages to have a rivalry with opposing generals. Remember Abner, back in like chapter two, three? Abner is the general of Israel's army. And Joab has a bit of a grudge against him because Abner killed his brother. And David starts getting friendly with Abner. They start making an alliance. Abner just totally switches sides to David. And in a moment of just revenge, Joab kills him in cold blood, an ally of David's. Here we have same set of circumstances. There is now a new general in Israel. His name is Amasa. And we just kind of have this like open-ended question mark that's waiting for us. How is Joab going to treat Amasa? Are things going to be any different this time around? We'll see next week or in the following weeks how Joab treats this guy. But as we wrap up this morning, I want to make a couple points of application If I could draw your minds all the way back to David's interaction with Shimei. Here's this dude throwing dust at David, throwing rocks at him, hurling insults. And David's response is, maybe this is the Lord's doing. Maybe God told Shimei to do this. And he doesn't take vengeance, although Abishai suggests it. He says, take him out, David. David's like, "Mm, I'm good. I'm going to trust the Lord here. You know, we love coming to our own defense. When people start hurling insults at us or we start feeling belittled, I mean, like, we just get bristly and we love to take vengeance. Can I remind you that God says vengeance is mine? If there is injustice being done, God will sort it out. We see how God came to David's aid here, even in using the counsel of Hushai over the counsel of Ahithophel. God comes to the aid of the oppressed. As Psalm 3 says, he is a shield about those who feel ganged up on. Secondly, and finally, as you can see on the screen there, it's probably starting to sound a little redundant, but our sin has serious consequences. The the last, what, four or five chapters now, have just been one consequence after another, after another. David's family is in total disrepair. Multiple of his kids are dead or will die in the coming chapters. It, it, it is just spiraled out of control, and his own sons are beginning to replicate the sins of their father. David's an adulterer and a murderer, and now he has sons who are murderers and adulterers. It's terrible. Please, let me urge you. Consider the consequences of your sins. We're seeing them played out here in David's life. Let this be a bad example to us not to replicate them in our own. Let's pray. Lord, as we just reflect on this story, I ask that you would do two things in our hearts. One, Lord, help us to trust you and your timing on things. Uh, we love to be the avenger of our own, of our own selves. And yet we've seen in David's example that we can trust you to right wrongs that have been done to us. You are perfectly just, Lord. And we are grateful for the mercy that we have received in Christ. And secondly, God, I just pray that you would help us to contemplate the consequences that our actions might have. Things that seem initially very uh, simple and easy to give into may have consequences that we can't even begin to comprehend. And I pray that that would be a motivator to us saying no to temptations. Thank you for your Son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.